Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, my wife and I had an amazing vacation, as I mentioned earlier. This is the first time that we've ever taken that long of a vacation and missed uh, two Sundays. And uh, it took me about eight days, really, to, to just kind of, and if, if, you, if you're a, a business owner or in some some form of leadership, you probably know what I'm talking about. It takes about that long, seven to eight days, to finally cut your mind off from work and to not be thinking about it anymore. And, uh, and it took us about eight, eight, eight days before that, and then we finally were able to relax. But in those eight days, um, God really uh, began to speak to me and then used that to speak to me the whole entire vacation. And, uh, and I want to share that with you today. Um, it'll be a little bit raw, um, might not be as, as cohesive as most of my messages are, and the reason for that is because I was on vacation, and, uh, and so honestly, what I did is I just meditated on this verse over and over and over and over again, and uh, didn't give a whole lot of prep time to it, so if you're here and you're offended by that, that's okay, I forgive you, get over it. Um, and uh, literally just meditated on it, and, and on the plane ride back, then I just got out and, and jotted down some notes. And I just want to share with you, um, if I may, um, what the Lord spoke to me on this vacation. We spent about a week in, a uh, little less than a week on the Oregon coast in Seaside. Anybody ever been to Seaside before? Seaside, Oregon, when the sun is shining, it is absolutely gorgeous. So about 10 days of the year, it's gorgeous there. And we happened to hit most of that when we were there. And then we went and spent time with Grandma and Grandpa. And uh, we love spending time with Grandma and Grandpa because our kids are well taken care of by Grandma and Grandpa. Now, some people might use the term spoiled. We use the, the term well taken care of because Grandma and Grandpa take care of them well. Um, they are quickly, my, my, my kids are quickly spending Cody and Katie's inheritance. And... Uh, <laughs> And the grandparents don't seem to have a problem with that. And uh, we had fun there. Kids riding horses or riding four-wheelers, just having a great time. Uh, I think one of the highlights for my kids is we, there was this uh, lake there, Lake Lawrence, and there was this huge rope swing out into the lake. And uh, we took the boat out thinking the kids would love the boat, go skiing behind it and teach them some water sports. But literally probably five out of the four, four out of the five hours we were out there, they did nothing but just swing out on that rope, like nonstop. Uh, the next day they couldn't even eat breakfast because they couldn't lift their arms. It was, it was hilarious. They were just like, <laughs> it was awesome. But, um, and then we headed over uh, to meet up with my family in eastern Washington. Just had a great time. And, and so thank you so much for allowing us uh, that time on vacation. But God really began to speak to me. And I want to I just divert from Colossians for today and share with you um, what it is he spoke to me. So turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And uh, as, the, as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me out of Psalm 23, I, I tried to think in my head if I've ever heard a pastor preach out of Psalm 23 on a Sunday morning. Now, maybe you have, but I haven't. I've never heard. Now, I've heard it at funerals, correct? I mean, that is like the number one place you're going to hear that psalm. Psalm 23 is going to be at a funeral. I don't know why that is, but it's just one of those popular ones at funerals. And, uh, and I was hoping I could maybe just reflect on a message that I have heard out of Psalm 23. Nothing was there. The Holy Spirit just began to speak to me and just began to just meditate on this over and over. And so let's read it together. Psalm 23. I'm going to read out of ESV. Starting in verse 1. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word today. Um, God, I pray that in the next few moments that we share together uh, here at Canvas Church, that um, God, you would just speak what you want to speak to every person that's in this place, that you would use me as a, as a vessel of honor uh, to share with them what I believe, God, is, is a message that is right here in this season for Canvas Church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. So it took me about, about eight days uh, on this vacation to finally just unwind and finally just get in that zone of vacation. I'm not working. Um, I, would, I would get some emails, and I would, I would try not to answer them, but I would end up answering some of them or text messages and, and whatnot. Um, but about eight days, and I remember lying there one night uh, awake thinking about the church, thinking about um, the Sundays that were coming up, thinking about, you know, I know Caleb's preaching, but man, did he prepare enough? Is he? Is he going to, are they going to remember to take up the offering? Come on, somebody. <laughs> the lead pastor's greatest fear when he goes away is, are they going to remember to take up the offering? Okay. And then, you know, the next week, Brandon preaching, starting Colossians. And I was like, oh, man, I should, I should probably email him real quick and, and just make sure he lays the groundwork for Colossians. Oh, no, I don't need to do that, right? And I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about people. I'm thinking about Jonathan and Kitsia who are abandoning us. are moving on to their next call and the, the journey that God has for them and, and just thinking about all these different things and, and then thinking about the church at large and, 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 and wondering, is the church going to make it while Ben and Katie are gone? Now, I know you're sitting out there and you might think, that sounds a little prideful, that sounds a little arrogant, but, but I'm sure if you're, you, you know, you're a business owner or somebody and you've been in that position before where your first time away or you're going to take you know, a long vacation and, man, are they going to remember to charge somebody for when they give them the, you know, whatever it is, right? And I was sitting there at night just, just laying there thinking about the church and I began to think about man, our church and think about, man, is everything going to be okay? And, and I began to think about all of the things I want for our church, all of the, all the things I have wanted and all the things I want, I mean, honestly, in my, in my recollection, when we, dreamt, when we dreamt about the church, when we prayed about the church, we were already in Qualcomm Stadium by now. Come on, somebody. You know, there were 65,000 people in our church by this point. And I began to think about that, and I was lying there, and I, I literally had the Holy Spirit just begin to speak to me in that moment. And, and he began to speak to me this. He said, Ben, who is the one leading the church? And I, I almost said me. <laughs> he said, Ben, who's the one leading the church? And I said, well, you are, Lord. He said, then why are you not sleeping right now? Why are you laying there awake in your bed? Why are you not sleeping? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and he quickly took me to Psalm 23, that psalm that I'm sure most of you could repeat verbatim, in some translation. And he took me to that first verse that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And literally for three weeks on vacation, I, I just begin to meditate on that verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anytime I begin to think about the church and things I wanted, it, is everything okay? I wonder how it's going. All of a sudden, I just go back to that verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here's the reality of everything. And, you know, we hear this a lot, like I said, at funerals. But really, this should be one of the premier scriptures we learn from the very time we can read. Because if we learn this one scripture, we understand this principle that life really isn't that difficult. Life really isn't that, that, that hard. With all of its challenges and all the things that you might face and all of that, if we understand this one verse of Psalm 23, which really sets up the other four verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If we just can wrap our minds around that one verse, life really is a whole lot easier. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as I began to meditate on that, not only did he ask me, hey, Ben, who's the one leading the church? He said, Ben, who's the one building the church? God, you are? And I remember one of my old pastors always said this, if I build it, I have to maintain it. But if God builds it, he will maintain it. And if we could apply that thought to our life, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means he's the one building me. He's the one leading me. He's the one caring for me. And if he's the one doing that, if he's building it, he's going to maintain it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So let's look at Psalm 23 just for the next few moments together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. That one part of that verse is so powerful. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that tell me? That tells me a couple of things. One, I don't need to look to somebody else to lead me. I just need to look to him to lead me. The Lord, him alone, is my shepherd. What is the job of a shepherd? The job of a shepherd is to lead the sheep, right? The job of the the shepherd is to care for the sheep. The, the job of the shepherd is to make sure that, that the sheep are protected, they're fed, and they're cared for, and that nothing comes in and, and attacks them. And, and if one of them's sick, yeah, he might have to give them some vaccine. That, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one doing all of that for me. That's powerful when you think about it. And I like it as a pastor. And I've, I've shared this with you before. You know, a, a shepherd has a couple of tools that he uses. One is that, that shepherd's hook, right? We, we can talk about that in a minute, the rod and the staff. And he uses that to pull sheep closer to him. And he uses that to maybe fight off some animals that are trying to attack the sheep, some things that might be coming against you. What is that rod and that staff? Ultimately, that's the word of God. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. And we have his word. What does the Bible say? It's your word we have hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. And then we read into Matthew 3 and 4. And how was it that Jesus himself, when he was tempted by the devil, defeated him? It was through the word of God. And so his word is that, that rod. His word is that staff that comes and, and defends, that comes and, and brings us closer in. And so that's one of his tools. But oftentimes a shepherd has another tool, and it's called a dog. Right? 
and the dog will go help round up the sheep. And I've shared this with you before. Listen to me. Reading this, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not your shepherd. That's not me. I'm not the one that heals you. I'm not the one that, that rebukes you. I'm not the one that corrects you. I'm not even really the one that encourages you. You know what I am? I'm the shepherd's dog. True. That's who I am. That is my role. That is my job. I am not the shepherd of this church. I'm the dog of this church. What up, dog? That's, that's me. That's my role. What's my role? My role is to do whatever the shepherd tells me to do. And so I'm just, I'm, he's the shepherd. He's the one that's leading this church. He's the one that's, that's, that's implementing the things in this church. He's the one leading the church. I'm just the dog of the church. And he says, hey, go round them up. And what do I do? I come and nip at your heels and bark really loudly on Sundays at you. It's true. But yet there are movements out there that really present the lead pastor as the shepherd. I've got to shepherd my people. I've got to lead them in ways of righteousness. That's scary. Somebody with me this morning? I am not your shepherd. I am the yapping little dog that nips at your heels. And he uses me in powerful ways. Absolutely. Okay? But I'm not the shepherd. And that should be encouraging to you as well. Because one day the dog dies. Come on, somebody. See, if I'm the shepherd and I die, then it's like, what are we going to do? But if the dog dies, you just go get another dog. But yet there, there, there are movements out there that present this as the, the one, and that's scary. Why? Because if this person fails, are you with me? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I understand, yes, follow me, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's awesome, okay? And I want to be the best representation of Christ that I can be or the best reflection of Christ that I can be. But I'm not your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Is somebody with me this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. 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 You know what else is really exciting about that is because it declares who his shepherd is, the Lord the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that created the universe, created everything in it. And if he created everything in it, whew, don't you think he knows what you need? I mean, he's the creator of everything. I don't know the desires of your heart unless you share them with me. And even when you share them with me, I can't give you the desires of your heart. I can bark some things at you and help you maybe move closer but what does the Bible say? He's the one. The shepherd's the one that gives us the desires of our heart. The Lord, the creator of the universe, the one that spun everything into existence, he's the one that's leading me. He's my shepherd. The Lord, the king of kings, the God of the universe is my shepherd. Pastor Ben is just the shepherd's dog. Now listen to me. Okay? I'm not trying to downplay my role as a lead pastor. Okay? The sheep respect the dog. Okay? But the shepherd is the one that's leading the sheep. 
he's the one leading. Now listen to this next part. This is the part that really hit me. I shall not want. I shall not want. Notice it doesn't say I shall not need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Listen, do sheep have needs? Yes. They need to be cared for, they need to be fed. Matter of fact, if you do a study on sheep, it's kind of insulting that God compares us to sheep. It really is. If you do a study on sheep, they are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. And that's who he compares. A little insulting. I mean, if a sheep tips over, have you ever seen a sheep tipped over? Have you ever seen it try to get back up? YouTube it. It's hilarious. It is honestly one of the funniest things ever. They really do need some help getting back up. And that's who the Lord compares us to. So he knows we have needs. He knows, I mean, what does the Bible talk about? We we don't need to be anxious for tomorrow. We don't need to worry about tomorrow, for he knows what we need. And he'll give us the things we need. Listen, we are going to have needs in life. Granted, it's there. It's going to be there. That's why it doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not need. He knows you have needs, and he will supply all your needs in his power and glory. You're going to have needs, and guess what? That's what the shepherd's there for, to make sure that your needs are cared for, to make sure that your needs are taken care of. That is his job. He's the shepherd. But it says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is a big difference between needs and wants. And this is where the Holy Spirit really began to get me the last three weeks. I shall not want. You know what one of the signs of maturity is? Is when you can decipher between a want and a need. I saw, I saw prime examples of it this the last three weeks on vacation. Seaside, Oregon. There are more shops in that little town than anywhere else in the world. It's just shop after shop. They have, all sell the same thing, basically. But to see my daughters going through these stores and looking at all the trinkets and looking at all the things. Now, Cara, she's a little older, and so she's become a little more responsible with her money. But come on, what eight-year-old is really that responsible with 20 bucks in their pocket? Let's be honest. It's going to be $20 worth of candy somewhere, right? For you, it's $20 worth of coffee. Nothing's changed, just the, the addiction's different, right? Make it a triple, you know? Okay. But to see my youngest daughter go through this, this emotional roller coaster in Seaside, Oregon, walking through all these shops, Dad, I want that. And I'm like, it's a gumball. I know I need it. <laughs> no, you want it. And then to go to the next store and all these little trinkets and things, I mean, just, just stuff that's really going to end up at a garage sale someday. You know what I'm talking about? And just to watch her, and all of a sudden she came into one store and she saw these water shoes. And she's been wanting water shoes forever. And they were pink. And now the little Velcro guy, she was like, Dad, I want that. How much are those? And I'm like, $16. She's like, $16. There was no Walmart. I was going to Walmart and got them for six. But it's like, yeah, $16. And to literally watch her for the next day just walking through the shops, and if I get that, I I can't get the shoes, and I really need the shoes. All of a sudden, her language started to change. 
and to watch her process that and to literally mature in that moment. She, she finally distinguished between wants and needs. One of the great signs of maturity in adulthood is you decipher between wants and needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I found myself lying in bed thinking about all the things I I want. I want a larger church. I want more people to come. I want more people to get saved. I want more staff members. I want to do more outreaches. I want to preach better. I want to do this better. I want want some personal things. And I was going through and rehearsing all these wants. and, And literally the Holy Spirit came to me and says, who is your shepherd? I said, you are. He said, then why are you wanting The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because if he is your shepherd, you have everything you need because he's supplying all of your needs. But not only that. See, think, where are you at? Think about it, your life. Listen to what this is saying. If the Lord is your shepherd, there's a sign to that, and the sign is, I don't want anything. He might give me some things, and I might have some desires, but it all be in his timing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I want to succeed more. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I want a better job. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I really want a relation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I just want a little bit more money so that I, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I really want a nicer home. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but man, I really want a nicer car. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If he's your shepherd, this is really good. I should go away on vacation more. If he's your shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here's why I don't want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me. Now listen. See, I think sometimes we misunderstand the psalm when we read it. It doesn't say he offers me green pastures. Hey, there's a green pasture there. Check it out. No, it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't give it as an option. See, if he's really your shepherd, then you do whatever he makes you do. Ooh, but then I got to give up control. See, we like, we, we like to read this the, the, this way. The Lord is my shepherd. It's okay for me to sometimes want. He offers me green pastures if I choose to take it. And still waters are available to me. That's the gospel we like. We like the gospel that says, hey, it's there for you if you want it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he makes me. As the shepherd, I'm the sheep, and he can do whatever he wants with me. And if you don't believe that's true, you haven't read enough of the Bible. And sometimes the way he makes us do things isn't the way we would want it done. The audacity of God. How dare he think he's the Lord of the universe? 
He makes me. There's the green pasture. Makes me. Why does he make me? Because he knows better what you need than you do. That's why the Bible says he gives his beloved rest. He makes us take rest sometime. He makes me. He makes me. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me. Think about the implication of that. He's the one leading me beside the still waters. He doesn't lead me behind raging, roaring waters. He leads me beside still waters. That's powerful. My wife loves to ski. Maybe you saw the pictures on Facebook. She loves to ski. She's been skiing since she was 9 or 10 and just out there just having fun. And, and we're, 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 we have some property over in eastern Washington on this lake. And uh, unfortunately, around 2 o'clock every day, the wind picks up and the waters get rough. So it's great for the wave runner. Come on, somebody. But it's horrible to ski on. And so the next day, she was like, hey, you want to get up early? Like, why? She says, the water's smooth. I said, yeah, let's do it. So we got up, got dressed. We were not super early, but we are in the water by 7. It's just glass. And she's out there just Throwing her hair back. Shh. Shh. Take a picture of me, babe. Shh. She went nonstop, man. She just kept going. It was just glass. And you know the funny thing about skiing is you can never get in front of the boat. Never. But man, when you're behind that boat on those still waters, so much fun. We tried to teach my daughter how to wakeboard, and she got up three times. It was awesome. She fell immediately, but she got up three times. (laughs) But the reason she fell was because she started to try to do the work herself. And here's what we kept telling her. Hey, baby, just let the boat do the work. Let the boat do the work. The boat will pull you right up. Just keep leaning. You just lean back and hold on to the rope and let the boat do the work. And man, she's starting to catch it. But then all of a sudden she'd stand up and she'd go right over the top, right into the water. Following Jesus is like that. Let, let him do the work. Let him pull you up. The minute you begin to put yourself into the scenario and say, oh, I got this now, guess what? You nosedive every single time. But if you just let him do the work and you just hold on and say, you know what, lead me wherever you want because you're, you're, you're my shepherd. Take me away. If you need to make me lie down, and make me lie down. Lead me beside still waters. These still waters are powerful because when you're standing by the still waters, it reflects everything around you. But when the wind is there, you begin to see what the wind does. But not only that, you can no longer see the distorted image in the rough water. But when he leads you beside the still waters, you can look in and it reflects everything around you. And when it begins to reflect everything around you, you're reminded of who your shepherd is because you can see him off in front leading you. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I began to read on, I got to the last part of this The first part, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, it just rocked me. But then I got to this last part, and I began to meditate on this. And it says this. It says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord is my shepherd. 
shall not want. Wait, he's the one leading me. He's the one making me. Why are there enemies around me? I mean, he's the shepherd. He's the one that led me here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he, he leads me beside. Wait a second. Where did the enemies come from? Why are there enemies around me? But even in this scenario, look at what it says. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I wrestled with that. And I wrestled with that. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But I'm in his presence. And the Bible says that his, in his presence is, is the fullness of joy. Why are, are there enemies? And, and in him, perfect love casts out all fear. What's taking place? And the Bible says we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's what we're wrestling against. And I began to think about it. I said, hold on a second. God, I need you to clarify something for me here. I need you to speak to me here. Why are there enemies as you're leading me? And the Holy Spirit brought me to the verse that says, he, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. And I began to realize something that our enemies that you and I face it isn't, isn't people. But not only that, the enemies that we fight and the enemies we face really isn't the sin that we're committing. One of the biggest enemies that you and I face is the shame and the condemnation of past failures, mistakes, and sins. See, and I know we just came out of this awesome message of, you know, we had the Wonder Woman series. Come on, and more power to the women, right? And then we had the Superman series, and all the men said, okay? And it was awesome, and we challenged one another, and we encouraged one another, and we walked out with little Superman keychains. Come on, somebody. So we could just feel, yeah, I remember that series, and I'm going to be a Superman for Jesus. But yet there are some of you still sitting here today that feel this shame, that feel this pain, that feel this guilt, that feel this condemnation because of past failures, sins, and mistakes in your life. And those are the enemies that we face. Because we like to say the Lord is our shepherd, but yet we don't feel like he could be our shepherd because of something we've done. Or because of something that happened to us. Because of a mistake, because of a sin, because of a failure, because of that. Now we have this guilt, this pain, and this shame, and it's welling up inside of us. And the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, is the accuser of the brother, and he accuses them night and day. What does he accuse us with? Do you remember when you did that? That was stupid. Why did you say that, idiot? How come you did this? Why were you there? Why did you put yourself in that situation? Oh, man, you should have never done that. Oh, your marriage isn't going to be successful now. You're going to be a failure. You're not going to make enough money. You'll never be a good business person. In those words. And right there, in the middle of that moment, he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The shame, the pain, the guilt, the past sins, failures, mistakes, offenses. And as those are raging inside of you, the good shepherd comes along and says, hey, I'm gonna prepare a table for you in the middle of the accusation. I'm gonna prepare a table before you in the middle of that. How many know what I'm talking about today? 
You all know the guilt, the pain, the shame, the condemnation that can come. It's quiet. I said, God, why a table? Why a table? I mean, couldn't you just like slap the devil upside the head for me? Why, why a table? And I was reminded of 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. And we're going to conclude. He prepares a table for me in the presence of accusation, my enemy, the war that's raging inside. There's a story of a guy named Mephibosheth. Maybe you've heard it. Mephibosheth was one of Jonathan's sons. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. King Saul was the king before David. Saul blew it. He sinned. He didn't obey. And because that, the Bible says that the spirit of God that was on Saul departed, moved over, and came on David. And David was to be the next king. So this whole time now, Saul is at battle, at odds with David, because David's going to be the new king on the scene. And one night when David and his people were finally, after Saul died, coming in to take the kingdom. One of the the care people from Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, one one of the helpers picked him up, started to run, fell, crippled his legs. From that moment on, he was crippled, he was deformed. His very name means shameful thing. Mephibosheth, shameful thing. Could you imagine having that meaning for your name all your life? Shameful thing, crippled. David now becomes king, and years later, God begins to move on David's heart. And David wants to show some honor for Jonathan's sake to the children of Saul. 2 Samuel 9. Let's read it. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. This is the only one that's left. But yet he's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Gar, the son of Emil, and Lodabar. The king David sent and brought him from the house. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table. Shameful thing, you shall eat at my table. In the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all this house I give to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread 
to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table, at the king's table. Now Ziba and his 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And he prepares a table before me in the middle of my shameful thing, in the middle of the accusation, in the middle of the lie from the enemy, the thing that is bombarding you. And Psalm 23 says, hey, I know how to silence it. Come and sit at my table. Why the table? Because here's Mephibosheth, crippled, probably can't even get there on his own, has to have crutches or somebody lead him there. But the minute he gets to the table, the minute he gets to the king's table, the one that's prepared for him, and he begins to sit down at that table, no longer is the shameful thing seen. No longer can you see that his feet are crippled. No longer can you see the thing that has held him back from the time it happened to him. Right there at the table, the playing field is leveled, and he looks just like one of the sons of the king. His shameful thing is covered by the king's table. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He prepares a table before me in the presence of the accusation. You shouldn't have done that. Why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Why'd you sleep with her? Why did you lie about that person? Why did you cheat? Why did you? And yet it's forgiven, and yet it's under the blood of Jesus, but yet the accuser of the brethren comes day and night to begin to bring accusations so that you don't feel good enough, you don't feel worthy enough, you don't feel acceptable enough. How could he be my shepherd? How could he be that to me because I know what I've done? And the, the accusation begins to come and all of a sudden he, listen to me, it doesn't just happen one time, it happens over and over and over and over again. He brings us back to that table to remind us that when you're sitting at the king's table, man, it's covered. When you're sitting at the king's table, man, it's as if it never happened. When you're sitting at the king's table, that shameful thing is covered, and you no longer are thinking about it, but not only that, no one else can actually see it. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why is forgiveness so easy for our God? Because he can't see it anymore. Because it's covered by the blood of Jesus because it's covered at the king's table. But yet we remove ourselves from that table when we stop allowing him to be our shepherd. But the table, listen to me. There goes my table. Listen to me. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us Besides still waters, but he offers us the table. Doesn't make you sit at the table. Doesn't lead you over to the table. He just says, hey, it's available. I've prepared it for you. And it's there for you. But you've got to choose to sit at his table. 
And if you choose to sit and you choose to stay, the pain, the shame, the guilt, it's covered. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I thank you this morning for Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's an invitation today for so many people in this room whether yesterday, whether last night, whether last week, whether weeks ago, whether years ago, whether, whether it was your childhood, something happened to you, something came upon you. I have some shameful things in my life, both things I've done and both things that have been done to me. And it's only when I leave this table that I begin to remember them. Because when I'm sitting at the table, his love covers a multitude of sins. When I'm sitting at this table, his love covers a multitude of offenses. And he's offering you this table today because there's some of you here that have shame, pain, guilt, offense, bitterness. And it's crippling you. It's crippling you. You're unable to fulfill the destiny and the plan that God has for your life. You're unable to achieve the great things that God has for you. You're unable to have the great marriage that he desires you to have because you're crippled. You're unable to have success in that business because you're crippled. You're unable to have success in that relationship because you're crippled. You're unable to obtain that dream because you're crippled. And whether it was because you, you, somebody dropped you or whether it was because something you did, you're crippled. And like Mephibosheth, his main name means shameful thing, you feel the shame of that. But even as the accuser of the brother would begin to rise up and begin to whisper in your ear, if you look over your shoulder, you'll see the table. And he's inviting you to come. 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 Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.